are listening to The Moment, an interview podcast series on life. We interview and capture conversations with creative minds, thought leaders, disruptors, and the people that are doing what they love while challenging the status quo. You can find the show notes on our website, themomenthq.com, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. But for now, let's dive into The Moment. Welcome to the Moment HQ podcast. I'm your host, Monica Cade. Our guest today is Ryan Hassan. Ryan grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. After some tough times in 2014, Ryan fell victim to drug addiction. He was using ice and GHB every day and dealing to support his habit. There was trouble with the law and many internal battles. And then in August 2015, a chance encounter with an old acquaintance changed everything. In February 2016, Ryan co-founded the Melbourne Centre of Healing, an addiction and mental health centre, and today he works with people, helping them escape the prison he found himself in. So let's hear more about his journey. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Monica. Not a problem. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation because obviously, as I've just outlined, you've gone through some pretty tough times. Can you just share a bit more about how you found yourself going onto that journey with drugs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne in a place called Moorlbark, <laughs> and I had a very middle-class upbringing. Mum and dad still together, you know, their love was never in question, had an older brother who was much older than me. You know, we weren't well off, but I never went without growing up. So, yeah, very loving family. Went to school out there and finished high school. And like a lot of people, I think, I was I knew how to solve basic problems after finishing school and I could memorise facts for a test, mm-hmm. but I had no emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be a big factor, as we'll find out moving forward. Mm-hmm. So after finishing school, I became a tradesman. I was an air conditioning mechanic and got married, you know, fell in love and, and bought the house uh, we built out in Sandhurst, which is in the southeast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people from the outside looking in at my life would say, oh, he's, he's killing it, you know, he's doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. But throughout this whole time, there was always a void that I had mm-hmm. and I was always trying to fill that with things. And, you know, whatever I did, I would do sort of 110%, like I'd do it too much. Like if yeah. I had a drink, I would drink too much. If I gambled, I would gamble a bit too much. And even things like the gym, I got into working out and just became obsessed with that. Mm. And I'm always sort of trying to distract myself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what I was distracting myself from. I didn't know what this void was. Mm-hmm. But I just had this inkling that it was there. And then in 2014, my marriage fell apart. Mm-hmm. And that combined with a few other factors um, this void that I'd always had and always uh, also I had a business at the time which wasn't doing that well, so financially it was under a bit of stress. Mm-hmm. And with all this going on, my drug use really spiraled out of control from that point. So before that, I was a recreational drug user, mm-hmm. but it never had too much of an impact on my life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, after the marriage breakup, it became more and more regular and then got to the point where I was using every day. Mm. Um from that point, I ran out of money pretty quickly, as you do, and so I started dealing to support that habit, um, which is what a lot of people do in that scene. No one who – all dealers are really drug addicts themselves, and no one's making any money. It's simply just trying to support their own habit. Right. So during this period where I was you know, heavily using every day, I actually shut out my family and all my close friends. Uh, I didn't speak to them for probably about a six-month period. 
um, which, yeah, put a lot of stress on my family and my friends and I was living at a place where they didn't know where I was and I just had so much uh, guilt and shame around what I was doing and where I found myself that I couldn't bring myself to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So this led to in July of last year, I was arrested. So I was picked up with quite a substantial amount of drugs on me and I was kept in prison for a couple of days before being released. And I'll never forget the moment I was just sitting on the in the cell there staring at the white wall and just thinking to myself, how the hell did I end up here? You know, this, this kid who had a great upbringing, he has great friends, great family, and here I am sitting in a jail cell. I had a little bit of a shift at this time. I still, after I got out of jail, I was went back to using again, but I understood that something had to change. The road I was going down was only going to get worse and it was not going to get better unless something drastically changed. Mm -hmm. So I decided, all right, I'm going to have to let my family and friends back in and try and sort myself out. So started speaking to my friends again. I was luckily enough, a lot of people in that scene, they'll lose their friends and they don't get them back. But I had a couple of friends who I remember I messaged them, it was... Sunday morning at maybe 6 a.m. and in a couple of hours they were on my front doorstep, which was amazing. Wow. And, yeah, went and saw my mum and dad again and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done after not speaking to them for about a six-month period, which is really a long time because I'm very, very close to my mum and dad normally. Mm -hmm. And having to go around to their place and say, "Uh, so your son's a drug addict, Uh, he's been arrested for drug dealing and yeah, he's got no money and he's in a lot of debt. It was really, really hard. And just seeing the stress on their faces was horrible. Yeah. And and so from that point, I'm like, all right, I've got to try and sort myself out. So I did a, a home-based detox program mm-hmm. um, through a government company. During this time, I was clean for 12 days, mm-hmm. but... I just I just stopped sort of using. I hadn't <laughs> got to any of the root causes or worked out why I was using in the first place. Mm-hmm. So after these 12 days, which is a very long 12 days, I relapsed. Yeah. And it was during this actual relapse that led to my moment, so to speak. So it's interesting telling the story. You know how you have like at the time you think things, random things happened or there's these coincidences? Yes. But then when you look back in hindsight, you're like, it seems like that was all planned out and meant to be that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I was um, in the middle of this relapse and I booked in to see a psychologist as part of this home-based detox program. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, yeah, it's booked in for Friday. And so I was telling my family, my friends, everyone, yep, seeing psychologist Friday, Friday. I was so certain it was Friday. And then anyway, Thursday morning, I'm going through my phone just deleting some old messages Mm -hmm. and I had a message from the start of the week from my care and recovery worker and just saying, hey, just a reminder that your uh, appointment with the psychologist is on Thursday morning at 9 o'clock and this was about 10 o'clock on Thursday, so I just missed it. And I thought to myself, that's so weird, I swear it was Friday. Mm -hmm. So I was down on myself for about an hour or so Mm -hmm. and then an old acquaintance of mine messaged me completely out of the blue like I hadn't spoken to her in maybe 18 months or something like that mm-hmm. and she was like hey what's going on and I was I was like I could write you a novel of my last year or so since I saw you last we had a bit of chit chat here and there I didn't tell her anything that I was going through and then she just sort of out of nowhere said oh I can feel a lot of hurt in your heart is everything actually okay and I said no it's it's actually not still didn't go into any detail of what was what was happening but had a bit of a chat to her, and she's actually a therapist. Mm-hmm. So I said to her, I'm like, oh, can I come see you for a session? And she said, sure, when did you want to book in? And 
I immediately said tomorrow because that was the Friday. Yeah. And she said, oh, I've actually just had an opening for tomorrow so you can yeah. come in then. So I'm like, all right, I have to go in. Not having a clue what she did. Sure. And she had no clue that I was a, a drug addict at the time. So mm. I waltzed into her office the next day. Yeah, she had quite the shock because last time she saw me, I was probably about 10 to 12 kilos heavier mm-hmm. and just in a different place. So I spent about three and a half hours in her office and found out that I hadn't learned to feel or express negative emotions my entire life mm-hmm. just because I didn't know. And so I went through my whole life escaping and trying to distract myself with things without ever sitting with, with my shit, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I was more than happy to talk to other people about their problems throughout my life and then it had come to me and I'm like, oh, I don't like this feeling. Mm-hmm. And I immediately try and distract myself. So we went back to some of the real main uh, events and points in my life where I had suppressed emotion, things like the breakup of my marriage and things when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt those emotions and released them and it was like, uh, you know, if you shake up a bottle of fizzy drink or something yeah. <laughs> and then you open it and it goes, look, a fire hydrant, I suppose, it just spurts <laughs> out everywhere. Yes. So all of a sudden I had all these emotions coming up and I found out as well that I had the belief, like a lot of uh, people do it, mainly men here in Australia, mm-hmm. that we can't be vulnerable around people. Yeah. And so I went through my whole life just not letting anyone see that I was struggling when, when in actual fact I was. Mm. So I had all these emotions coming up and it was a real amazing three and a half hours, an amazing shift. And I remember in that moment, uh, I felt presence for the first time. And it's funny, this podcast is called The Moment HQ. Well, I was actually in the moment for the first time in my life. Yeah, it's amazing. It is. I realized that I was always looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, always wondering what's happening next. But this is the first time I actually took a deep breath and went, I'm here, I'm in this moment. And I remember I just started crying and it was from that point I knew I no longer needed to take drugs. Wow, it's so fascinating as, you know, I get to interview so many different people and I come across so many different stories and it's interesting to see how so many people have a different experience to get them to like the moment or being in the moment. And it's Mm. almost like we each, you know, have these certain paths to walk, but they're all helping us to bring us back to being present and awake in our lives and to really express more of who we are. Exactly. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it's being present and expressing exactly who we are. And, and I totally agree with what you said. And I look back and then I, in that same session, I realized that the, the breakup of my marriage, which you initially see as this, such this horrible thing and a bad thing, mm. I all of a sudden looked back on it as a gift. Yeah. Because I'm like, my God, if I wasn't hurt that bad and I wasn't put through uh, a dark night of the soul, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have led me to that breaking point where I finally had that breakthrough and got to that moment. I know. It's such an amazing ability to, I guess not everyone gets to look back and have that same awareness and gratitude that you seem to have. But when we can do that for our challenging times in our lives and be grateful and see them as a gift and say, wow, like if, like you just said, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have had this experience and then been able to grow as a person as well. It's amazing that you can look back on that with gratitude. Yeah, I think it's important to really look back on those challenging events with gratitude because I think the bigger the challenge, the greater the opportunity on the other side of it. Mm. So even when, and this is something I work through with clients, through some really big challenges at the minute, it's being thinking in that moment, wow, there's going to be something pretty amazing on the other end of this. 
Mm. So I guess for some of our listeners, they might be thinking, okay, well, that's great. But you know what? I'm having a really tough time right now. And it doesn't feel like that amazing thing is coming at all. What, <laughs> what would you say to them? Uh, I'd say uh, for one, if you are going through a really, really challenging time, ask for help. And this is one of the things I, I never asked for help my whole life because I'm like, I can handle this, I can handle this. When, when in reality, I think every single person on the planet needs help at some point in their life. Mm. And there's no, there's no shame. It's not showing a weakness. It's actually showing a strength to make you put yourself out there and be vulnerable and say, I need a little bit of help. Yeah. And, and if that's professional help, great. Or maybe it's even just opening up to a close friend. That's so true, isn't it? Like just expressing that stuff that's in your head, just talking to anyone sometimes can be just a release that you need to help you get through that because we have all this stuff that goes on in our head and if we don't express it, it just accumulates and it gets bigger and bigger and that's eventually why the situations become so stressful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people stuck in your stuck in your head and you're dead is a good saying. Mm-hmm. It's like the more you think about a situation, and especially when you're in a stressed state, the more you think about what the solution is, the further you get away from the solution. Yes. So being able to talk to someone, it's like a, a bit of a brain dump, for want of a better word, where you can <laughs> dump these thoughts out on someone else and then it gives you a whole new perspective. Yes, perfect. That's like perfectly said. I love it. Tell me more about what you're doing today and how has that fulfilled your life? Yeah, so what happened after this first session that I had, I stopped using drugs from that point. Mm -hmm. And so I kept seeing um, Melissa is her name for each week after that. Mm Because even though I stopped using, I still had all these old blocks from my past. Like, you know, when someone says, oh, I've got baggage, everyone's got baggage. It's just this emotional baggage from throughout our life. So it's about lightening that load. So as I was getting lighter and seeing a bit of a brighter future for myself, Mm -hmm. I realized that I need to help people who are in my situation. That's my mission. That's the purpose of why I'm here. It's why I went through what I went through. Mm -hmm. So I enrolled in a diploma in mental health and AOD and started attending school. And whilst I enjoyed the course, it was good fun and whatnot, it represented the old system to me. And when it comes to, you know, drug rehabilitation at the minute, there's about a 10 to 15% success rate mm-hmm. with that system. So for me, I'm like, nuts, nah, it's not good enough. Yeah, <laughs> so definitely. I went back to Melissa and said, all right, I need you to teach me every single thing that you know because I think what you do is far more powerful for people with an addiction or someone with a really um, deep mental health problem than mm-hmm. anything I'm going to learn in school. So I sort of became just so focused on learning off her and just learning as much as I could about addiction, mm-hmm. um, speaking to a lot of friends who I knew who were still addicts or had got themselves clean, how did you do that, and as much information as possible. And then it got to, yeah, the end of February this year and myself and Melissa opened up the, the centre that I'm currently in now in Melbourne. Mm. And it's been, yeah, it's been six months now I'm not sure whether it feels like six weeks or six years, a bit of both, <laughs> bit of both sometimes. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just amazing just working with such a varying group of people and people with all sorts of issues in regards to addiction and mental health. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, everyone's the same that anyone can free themselves no matter what the problem is. And I really believe that nothing's impossible, no matter how bad, you know, someone feels like it is at the time, if they're really down a deep hole, yeah. I believe anyone can get out. It's really probably great for anyone listening to hear that because everyone has those days where sometimes we do fall down holes and sometimes they're deeper than others and it's challenging to get out. 
Absolutely. And I think that's a big thing that we teach here and work I want to do moving forward with kids is teaching that emotional intelligence, the stuff that I had no idea about when I finished school. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote that says, uh, you can't manage what you don't measure. And I think it's so important that we measure and track our emotions every day mm-hmm. because not every day is rosy. I can do <laughs> And not even, you know, for myself today, I'll wake up some days and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling angry for some reason. Yeah. It's about being really aware of that and having someone you can talk to. Like I'll come in the morning to the office and myself and Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm good or I've actually got a bit of sadness. It's then going into that, not trying to run away from it. Mm. Hey, what's this about? Yeah, exactly right. So tell me, in the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you were feeling a void for a long time and you were trying to fill it all the time with other things external to you. Do you feel that now? No. So that's – and that's about – because I had all these suppressed emotions, that void, I was trying to escape being me. So once those emotions were released, then I no longer wanted to run away from me. (laughs) It's like like you can take a deep breath because, you know, there's that feeling, and I remember I used to have this a lot, if ever I was just sitting by myself Mm -hmm. and it was like quiet, it wouldn't be massively intense, but I just have this slight anxiety that was always there Mm. and I wasn't quite comfortable. Yeah. So then I'd want to always get up and do something else. So really a lot of what we do is a journey with having people reconnect with themselves because it's like it's more about not trying to add anything. It's about subtracting. Yeah. I think when it's about us being peaceful, it's not like say you want to learn basketball, right? Mm-hmm. You want to learn how to dribble. You want to learn how to shoot. So you're like adding skills to your arsenal. Yeah. But when it comes to ourselves and being peaceful, we want to do the opposite. <laughs> we need to take away a lot of the conditions that we've learned throughout our life to get back to our true essence. And we live in a world today where so much is focused on the external world. I feel like that is shifting a bit as well. However, I think more and more we need to look at ourselves and start subtracting, like you said. Yeah, and just and finding stillness as well because there's just so much uh, input coming into our lives now because we've always got you know, smartphones, tablets, laptops. Um, there's always something happening. Totally. And I really don't think we're designed to take that much input of data every day. No. So I think it's really important to take time out each day. It can only be 10 minutes, but just to purely find stillness. Like the more you take time out, the easier it becomes and the more relaxed or at peace or content you feel being with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I have, because we teach a lot of people, you know, meditation and those kind of practices. Mm. And, um, yeah, the ones who say, I don't have time to meditate. <laughs> They're the ones who need to do it most because <laughs> so they'll true. have more time throughout the day if they do it. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got a few signature questions to finish off with. Okay. What do you believe is your greatest asset? Uh, my blue eyes and my shoulders. Okay. I love people. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love people and I love seeing someone have a realization or an epiphany and that just drives me so, so much. Yeah. So I don't believe anything's possible as well. Awesome. So I think that, that loving people and knowing that anything's possible means that yeah, there's a lot of drive there that, that drives me every day. Yeah, and it's awesome to hear that because you have had such a challenging journey and you could have easily taken the other path and thought, no, 
you know, nothing's possible, life's too hard and you could have gone a completely different way as well. So it's nice that you can stand there and go, hey, I've gone through this really challenging time in my life. It doesn't matter. That was just one experience and it doesn't have to be this way now. Absolutely. It's a chapter in the book. It's not the whole story. Mm. That's one thing I talk about people like the the model of like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous or NA, which has got great results for people, Mm -hmm. but it's an idea of identifying as an addict or an alcoholic your whole life. Yes. Whereas to me, I always tell people, you're not an addict. If I walk in there and say, hi, my name's Ryan, I'm an addict clean one year. No, I'm not an addict. I simply haven't used drugs for the past year. It's a a different situation. It's like saying going to Bedwetters Anonymous and I'll say, hi, I'm Ryan. I'm a Bedwetter clean 30 years. (laughs) It's not the case. I just don't wet my bed anymore. (laughs) It's so true. I agree with it completely. I recently uh, wrote a book and I spoke about that exactly. I said, you know, we're not... No, no, no. (laughs) Sorry. Probably should have. (laughs) (laughs) no I just was talking about addiction and how or even diseases how so often uh, the medical industry not across the board but the medical industry can you know keep people stuck in their illness or Mm. their addiction in that sense because they keep having them identifying with it 100% yeah I I couldn't agree more and especially as well but giving someone a label it does give that person some degree of comfort, yeah. and people and people find that comforting. Like we've had um, a guy recently who suffering bipolar and just very attached to that label. Mm. And now that we're releasing all these emotions from the past, and he's getting lighter and lighter, and he's not having these up and down moments. Mm. It was hard for him us to say, "Look, you don't really have bipolar. Like you haven't got these symptoms." But you, we hold on to that label because it gives us an answer for something very, very complicated. Yeah, exactly. And it's something we've known for so long, so it almost feels safe. And to let it go, it's like a new path that's unknown. Which is scary, yeah? Mm. It's scary because someone will go, oh, Jesus, if I don't have this, who am I? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just takes time to slowly let go of that identity as well. Absolutely. Tell me, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Uh, He just passed away recently, Muhammad Ali. Uh, uh, he was my hero growing up yeah. and just not just what he accomplished throughout his life but the way he did it with that cheeky smile on his mm-hmm. face and just someone who millions of people looked up to him but he never looked down on anyone and I think he was just an inspiration. Awesome. And tell me, what's one piece of wisdom that you've been given that you feel like you live by? Mm, that's a good question. I think that everything that we are looking for or searching for in our lives, it's not external, it's all inside us. And like I said before about not adding, it's about subtracting. Yeah. People, we're always searching for something to make us happy, something to make us excited, something to make us peaceful, but it's not out there, it's in here, it's in our hearts. Mm. And once we realise that and we can tap into it any time, then the world is yours. Boom. Oh, there's one more quote I'll give you. Sorry, this is probably my favourite quote. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so a man never walks in the same river twice for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. Mm-hmm. And I love that quote because I think it just says the world is, everything's about change. It's the only constant in the universe. We're always constantly changing and it's very true. We are moment by moment. We're always someone new and different. Yeah, and even on a cellular level, our cells all change within 
don't know if it's seven years or whatever, we're a completely brand new person. Isn't that cool? I think that's, that's so, so cool. Yeah, so fascinating. <laughs> Blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. It was so great chatting to you, and that wraps up our interview now. But thanks Beautiful. for getting on board. Thank you so much, Monica. Take care.